Welcome to Positive Productivity, episode 176. The Positive Productivity podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. And I'm also thrilled to introduce you to our guest today, Eltavise Pelzer. Eltavise is a speaker and author and has such an amazing story to share. So I am just going to jump right over to her. Eltavise, thank you for joining me again. <laughs> we'll, t- we'll share that with the listeners in just a moment. Could you share a little bit of your story with the listeners, please? Hey guys, I am super excited to be in front of you today, of course, because for one, I am a listener, so I am a Kim fan. Yes, I'm a groupie, but also because I am appreciative of being able to share my story with you guys. I am a single mother of four amazing teens. I am a victor over molestation, as well as the mother of two teen girls who are victors over molestation. And the difference between their story and mine is that they spoke up and the young man was arrested. And I I did not say anything about being molested until the age of 35. So imagine it was a journey of trying to help my girls heal through the process uh, during a process that I hadn't even healed from. So definitely something to be uh, talked about. <laughs> definitely. And listeners, I've said it once. No, let's just be real. I've said it a hundred times already, and I'll say it thousands more. Positive productivity is not about perfection. Yesterday, Eltavis and I had a wonderful chat that was supposed to be aired for this episode. However, I forgot to push record, apparently. So here we are doing it again, and I can't wait to just have this, um, what do we call it? Encore? For us, it's an encore. For us, it's an encore. Yeah, because I know it's going to be just such a magnificent conversation Elsevise, your daughters were molested and you took some surprising actions. Can I put it that way? Yeah. I would love for you to share what that path looked like and what you did after finding out. Definitely. So I have always been a little special unicorn and I definitely do things a lot different than others. Uh, But during the process, it was a grueling process to say the least. But during the process... Something that I did, I got really ridiculed for. And that was me not wanting their molester to go to jail. He himself was a teenager and we had found out that he had been molested as well um, when he was younger. And so it was interesting because in my mind, from my perspective, as someone who had been molested as well, I wanted to break the cycle and say that this ends now. This ends with my daughters. This ends with him. And I did not want him to go to jail. I wanted him to get help. And that was my main objective and my main thought process throughout the whole thing, the whole court case. And yeah, I got ridiculed. I got pushed and prodded. I got talked about. But the young man is he just graduated from high from high school. He just graduated from college 
And to think about where his life would have been if he would have had to gone to jail or gone to a different facility or gone to through a different type of program, you know, and ended up being in the system in that light and what that would have done for him in his future. Now, is that going to be the, you know, the direction that everyone can go in? Definitely not. But I am confident in being able to make that adjustment and being able to make that decision, not just on the behalf of him, but on behalf of my girls, because I think that really contributed to their level of forgiveness because they were able to see a level of forgiveness through me. Well, they've also been able to see how it can stop with them. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they can forgive and they can lead an amazing life and don't have to take the anger forward and don't have to take the anger out on anybody else and the pain. I didn't realize, were you given the ability to decide whether or not he went to jail? I had, I was given the opportunity to pursue it as far as jail. Yes. I didn't even know that was an option. I I would have assumed until our conversation yesterday, actually, that there was no option, that it would have just always been considered criminal and that was the only route. It depends on the level and it depends on the person, because even when you think of some of the other criminal acts that are out there, there's levels to it. And you can determine how far you want to go. You can determine if this is something that You just want them to get help for what's going on or not. Now, everything is not like that. If you commit homicide, it's not that same. (laughs) It's not that same leniency. Um, And I do believe that if this had been rape as opposed to molestation, that there would have been less of an option for me to make that decision. But I think with it being molestation, I had a little more say. And because of the situation, I definitely wanted to make sure that I was very vocal throughout the whole process. So not everybody goes through that as well. I understand that the show I'm hosting is a positive productivity podcast. And I'm sorry to be taking us down a little bit of a darker road. But I wasn't aware until you just said that, that there was a difference actually Mm -hmm. between rape and molestation. Yes. And so there was no penetration. So there was it wasn't considered rape. I remember earlier on I had done uh, I had actually been on a jury for a rape case. And so when the situation happened immediately, like my mind started going back to the things that were talked about during that court case and what was considered uh, what was considered this, what was considered that and the questions that were asked of the judge and it. In that moment, you know, I started thinking back on all of that stuff. But when I got to the actual court date, none of those things were in my mind. (laughs) I didn't remember it like everything just kind of left my mind during the actual court date. But even when going when I was on a jury and we had to go through that whole process. Okay, well, what is considered rape? What is considered harassment? What is considered this? And there's different levels to all of it. And you just kind of go, nobody taught us this beforehand. Nobody really talked about this. And we know that rape, molestation, and abuse are very taboo topics, but nobody said anything like this. Yeah, I think I've always just put them into a general category of sexual assault. And not really thought about the difference. 
Have you maintained contact with him through the years? No, that is the one thing that we have not done is we have not maintained contact. Uh, When everything happened, we actually ended up moving uh, two states away. We moved from Pennsylvania to Maryland. Uh, They still have contact with their father. They still have contact with that side of the family and things. But I thought that it would be best for them to have a change of scenery in order for them to have the greatest opportunity to heal. And that's not always the case because some people don't some people don't think that that's a great way to heal. Some people feel as though you should be able to contact the person and talk to them. But. When you go through molestation and abuse and rape, there's some things emotionally, mentally that you go through that seeing that person on a regular basis does not really help you heal all the time. It's almost as if the person that has a scar, has a a wound on their, their arm or their leg or something, and they keep picking at the scab. It's almost along that same lines. It takes, sometimes it takes a long, a lot longer to heal because you're still seeing that person. And it's almost like it's salt on an open wound every time you see that person. So sometimes it's not a good idea for them to have that contact. Uh, That has been a question that has been asked as they have gotten older is if they could have that conversation, just that sit down and conversation. But it's definitely, like I said, for me, it was, I felt like they would have a better chance if they didn't have that contact just for them to be able to go through the process of healing and growing and all of that. Right. And they're still teenagers. I mean, perhaps into their adult life, they can make that decision if and when the time is right for them. But it should definitely not be something that they have no say in. Exactly. And that was the, the key element of it is that it's not something that's not up for discussion. It's something that we can have a discussion about. But we're going to talk about it. It's not just something that you're just going to, you know, it's just going to happen out of the blue. No, that's something that we'll discuss because there is going to be an emotional moment that will be attached to it. And it may not happen at the exact moment when they see him, but it may happen further down the line. And I have to be prepared for that as well as they have to be prepared for that. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely not the same thing, but it's almost like a, an adult who is going and looking for their adopted parent. They have to be prepared. And and almost sometimes so do the, the parents who raise them. I think I reversed that, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Yes, yes. They still have to have that same level of, okay, this is a process. <laughs> we have to go through this process. It may be painful, but we know that this is a process we have to go through. So being a little more prepared. Now, can we prepare for everything? Absolutely not. But can we be a little more prepared than just going into it blind? We definitely can. Oh, definitely. So let's fast forward a few years. Your daughters were molested and then you opened up about having been molested yourself. What did that journey look like for you and how did it change your life from before you opened up to after you opened up? So that was definitely an interesting scenario. We moved and everything was found out in 2009. And I did not say anything about being molested until 2015. So that was what, six years? 
And what happened was myself and my oldest daughter were having a conversation about trust and it kind of got a little heated. It got, it got a little heated and I kind of just blurted it out. And it was one of those moments where you wish you could kind of grab the words straight out the air and kind of swallow them back because the look on her face was just like, wait, what? It was one of those, definitely one of those teenage moments where you're like, wait, what? What, what did you just say? But, you know, with tears in her eyes and we had, you know, we were able to have a conversation about it. She held my hand and she, and for a moment, she didn't really know what to say. And I didn't know what to say. It was just kind of a moment of us just being in silence. But I can say that in that moment, it was definitely a release for me. And it put me in a completely different mindset. Before that, I had been attempting to write my first book and I had been attempting to try to get on my feet and figure out what I wanted to do. I had started my entrepreneurship and was kind of all over the place with that. And so, you know, it gave me a little more focus because here it was. I had never had that conversation. Nobody knew. Even when everything had happened with my daughter, I never said anything. And it was another conversation that I had with my daughter where I was uh, in one of the online Facebook groups and was I did like an impromptu conversation with my daughter. And I asked her, I said, what was your most proudest moment of me? And I said, you know, because at this point I had now I had published the first book and I had become a life coach and gotten a little more focused. And she said it was when you told me that you had been molested as well. And I said, well, in my mind, I'm like, well, I didn't know that that was going to be like I didn't know that was an option. I didn't know that was there, that that was really something that you would be proud of. But we had a conversation and she said it let her know that she wasn't alone in this journey. She wasn't really the things that I was saying to her. I wasn't saying them from someone who didn't understand what she had been through. And it immediately changed my whole perspective, because if I can do if me opening up and talking about my molestation can open up a dialogue and can free my daughter to know that she's not alone, then what can it do for other women? That's such a huge question. So you had published one book at that time and you've gone on and published five more. Yes. How has opening up changed your entrepreneurial journey and what you're doing? So when I started out, I was as a part of the molestation and going through that whole process. I was a people pleaser. I was the person behind the screen. I was always the support person. I was always the person who was helping to put something together, but never out in the forefront. And so I had always allowed other things to kind of get me off track. So I never really allowed myself to fully be in front of the camera or on a stage or on a microphone. That was never my journey. And with this, I've done speaking events, I've done interviews, I've done uh, all different types of online events and going and speaking to the different online women's communities and doing local meetups because I saw my whole my whole legacy change. And I really had to have a, a deep conversation with myself about what it is that I thought my legacy was and what it could actually be. So with me publishing all the books, it's because I feel as though every time I open my mouth, 
or every time someone reads one of my books, it's a seed sown. And literally, I may never see the harvest from that seed, but somebody will. And so it completely changed what I was doing. I was no longer doing virtual assistant services. I went and I became the professional speaker. Now, as an introvert, oh my goodness, that journey. (laughs) I am on that journey with you. So I have to ask, and this is total deviation from everything that we've already talked about, Mm -hmm. but what is your greatest fear about being a speaker? So my, you know, my greatest fear is that I'll be up there and like, I'll just go blank and completely like just stare at the crowd. (laughs) I'll go completely blank and just stare at the crowd and kind of just stand there with the microphone in my hand. That hasn't happened. I have had instances where I've had wardrobe malfunctions and things of that nature. I've had uh, an instance where, and this one was a funny one because it turned out so amazing. The beginning of the year, I had a speaking opportunity and I was told that I had 30 to 45 minutes. So I'm excited, right? You prepare for this time. You're like, okay, I'll leave some time for Q&A. And then about two minutes before I was going to get up, I was told that I only had 10 minutes. And so this was when I learned that my professional speaking skills are phenomenal. (laughs) Like I had to give myself a pat on the back. 30 minutes to 10 minutes. To 10 minutes. And I did it. And not only did I do it in 10, I did it in eight minutes. And I did a phenomenal speech in eight minutes. And literally the whole room was just in awe. And my assistant was with me at the time and she said, oh, my goodness, that was amazing. How did you break it down? And and it wasn't anything that I wrote out or anything like that. I'm very opposed to like kind of going back and forth between looking at a paper and looking at an audience. I love to keep that eye contact, which is odd because I'm an introvert. I love to keep that eye contact. But I kept eye contact and every I knew what my points were. I broke it down and not only did I break it down, I delivered it flawlessly and it was amazing. An eight minute speech. Um, you can actually see it if you go to bit.ly forward slash eight minute video. And literally it was eight minutes. And in that eight minutes, I did an amazing job. I, I had to pat myself on the back. I was nervous about it. I was nervous about it, but it turned out really great. My biggest fear is actually tripping. Really? Yep. Oh my goodness. And I see, I always wear heels, but I try to wear wedges more. (laughs) If I know there's going to be a stage, I'm like, yeah, I'm wearing wedges. I'm not going (laughs) to. The event that you and I met at, listeners, Elsevisa and I met about a month ago. And the event that we were at, I made it for the first three days in heels. Now, let me tell you, I wear flip flops 99% of the time that I wear shoes. (laughs) But they are dollar flip-flops from CVS. Okay, the things have seen better days and it was painful, but I left them at home. But on the final day, I was like, okay, Kim, pat on the back. You made it three days. Today, you're wearing sneakers. (laughs) Because, yeah, I've passed on to my daughters the ability to trip over air. Ah. Yeah, we have two left feet, each of us. And we've got the bruises to prove it. I can definitely understand that. I I've seen some interesting hospital visits due to my my, my kids. 
<laughs> that only a parent can understand. You just kind of go, yeah, that's just, okay, well, you know, <laughs> whatever works. So after you opened up, did forgiveness for either yourself or your molester or for even the molester of your daughters, did that play any role in how you moved forward or was it already a role? So the forgiveness piece, I think I forgave their molester a lot easier because I knew the background as opposed to mine. And it, it's kind of odd and I don't understand why. And I I don't I think part of it is because I didn't really know the person 100 percent. The other part of it is I didn't really forgive myself and I kind of held this, you know, holding on to this secret. It's like you want to tell somebody that that's the reason why you're doing X, Y, and Z, or that's the reason why you don't, you know, you're looking at something in a different way and you can't really tell anyone. So then you end up getting angry at yourself because you can't really be truthful with people. And I think that's something that anybody who has not gone through that forgiveness of self, you can't really be truthful with people because you're walking around with this burden that you weren't meant to carry. Why do you think you hadn't opened up before you did? So for me, it was a thing of I at the time was living with someone else. I wasn't living with my mother. My mother was a single mother and she was in school getting her second bachelor's degree. And so I I, I kind of felt like I had to protect her. It was me and her for the longest of time. And I just felt like I had to be the protector of her. And, you know, she was doing, you know, a whole lot to try to, she was working and going to school. And I just, even at a young age, and we see that in children, that even at a young, young age, children are very protective of their parents. It's just, it's, it's ingrained in us. And I, I didn't, I don't know why I took it to such an extreme because there's some other people that aren't as protective, but because it was that it was just me and her against the world kind of mentality. I just felt like I couldn't tell her because I didn't want her to be upset. I didn't want her to think it was her fault or anything of that sort. So I endured it and I kind of, I endured the pain so that way she didn't have to. Have you and your mom discussed this? Nope. She went to her grave never knowing. How do you feel about that? I had that question in my head when she first got sick and I said, do you want to tell her? Do you want to have this conversation? And in my heart, I couldn't. Well, I do believe that she's watching over and she's got to be so proud of you. And I'm sure she appreciates that because it wasn't a concern of hers in her final days here. But now she can see how you're moving forward and making it, turning it into a legacy that you can leave. Definitely. And impact definitely. the lives of others. Yes, indeed. So bravo to you. Thank you. So let's talk about your speaking and your and your writing a little bit. What are you speaking about and what are you writing about? So writing, uh, it's about my journey. It's about is self-help books. It's about motivation and empowerment. Speaking, it's anything from 
finding your voice as a someone who's gone through abuse and what that means. So it could be, you know, finding your target audience. It could be sharing your voice on social media, because a lot of times we feel as though we have to we have to fit the mold of everybody else. And that's where the unicorn comes in, because I'm different. (laughs) So I don't really do things the way everybody else does it. I'm not into, you know, following the trends. And that helps because with the women that I come in contact with, they see everybody in the limelight. They see every, you know, this coach saying that they have this that they can do and this coach saying that they can teach you how to do this. And they have a webinar for this and a webinar for that. But then I come and I say, Okay, I I know that what you've been through was something painful, but let's look at how we can utilize that pain. Let's look at where we can go from here. And it's it's almost like there's always a message, a message in the mess. And so even with literally at the beginning of 2016, um, December 31st of 2015, I was evicted from my home. I, I lost my sister. Um, we ended up moving into someone's two bedroom apartment. So my girls were in the second bedroom and everybody else was in the living room and it was complete and utter chaos for me. But December 31st, I was evicted on January 1st. I had a decision to make. I had a flight that day and I said, do I take this flight or do I just go and and curl up in a ball in the middle of the bed or in the middle of the floor. Do I take this flight or do I go and, you know, go home and just, or do I stay home and not do anything? And I said, I'm going to take this flight. I get to the airport, first flight, no problems, get to my layover, second flight. There's nothing on my ticket that says what group to go in with. And so I said, okay, well, I go to the booth. I let them know. They said, okay, no problem going with group two. So group two is called and I go to go in with them and I'm standing in line and my name is called by the stewardess at the booth. So I get back out the line (laughs) and I go over to the booth for her to hand me a new ticket. And the new ticket said first class. What? Yes. I had never been on a first class flight ever never been in flight for this is I hadn't even before this I was not even someone that was taking trips on a regular basis because we were still living I was living paycheck to paycheck and just trying to make things work like anything outside of that was extra so extra did not happen for us so on that just on January 1st of 2016 I was upgraded to first class and I said wow, okay, I don't have an option but to go back. This is, we're, it's, it's all, it's go steam ahead. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. However, I have to make this happen. I have to make it happen. And because of me deciding to take that flight and getting that inspiration from being upgraded to first class, literally May of this year, I was able to leave my job and start working for my, and be working for myself full time. And so it was just like that ripple effect. (laughs) It it definitely put me into that ripple effect that if I would not have, if I would have been so devastated by that one pebble being dropped into my lake or my pond of me being evicted and not going forward and taking that flight, then I wouldn't be here in this moment. 
That is mind-blowing, and it's such a sign. And so often we miss the signs, or we're just not looking to them, looking for them, or open to receiving them. So bravo to you. Thank you. (laughs) I've definitely had an interesting journey. (laughs) So what does the journey in the next coming months look like for you? So I am well on my way to... um, I'm on track to make my first six figures ever for 2018. That's blowing. And it's mind blowing for me because I had a conversation before I left my job. I was working full time. And before I left my job, I sat down with my children and I said, I showed them how much I made for the company I was working for in a year. And I I told them how much I got paid in that same year. And I said, I'm maybe getting about 10%, barely. I said, if I can make this for a job, it stays with the job. If something happens to me today or tomorrow, y'all don't get any bit of that. You may get a card, possibly some flowers. If I make this same amount for us, then this is for us. This is for our future. This is for your children's children. This is our legacy. And they looked at me and they had like a Medea moment and was sitting there on the calculator. (laughs) They were crunching numbers and going, mom, that doesn't make sense that that's how much you get paid. And I said, well, that's just that's the nature of the beast when you work for someone else sometimes. And so they looked at me and said, go with it, go for it. So to be able to say that now I'm on track to make my first six figures, that is it's scary, but it's it's exciting as well. What is the legacy that you want to leave? The legacy that I want to leave is allowing women to know that they have something to offer the world. Um, I know when I go live on social media, on Facebook and Periscope, I tell people, you know, what you have to offer is a blood donation and there's somebody somewhere waiting for a blood transfusion. Will you let them live or die? We really do have to understand that we have something that somebody needs. And I want to be able to say that my legacy was giving as much as I could possibly give through my books, through my speeches, that they will outlive me, outlive my children's children and continue to empower women well 100, 200 years from now. Can you share a little bit more about your books and where listeners can find them? Definitely. So first, I want to say for anyone who's listening, you definitely get a free copy of my second ebook, which is Define Your Voice. If you go to bit.ly forward slash love my voice and put in coupon code speak up, you'll get the book for completely free. And you'll also get a separate webinar that just is something to encourage you. And the title title of it is I Am Strong. And so my books have been my journey. And so the first book, of course, took me eight years to write the first book because I put it off for the title and all types of things. I even struggled and said at one point that, you know, I'm an avid reader, so I'm always buying books. I'll buy books at Goodwill. I'll buy books at Supermarket. If it's a book and I love it, I'll get it (laughs) wherever it is. Amazon and Audible are my best friends for life. And I said, you know, well, why am I going to write a book? It's just it just will end up at a thrift store. It'll just end up at the Goodwill. And then I had to retract that thought and say, but somebody had to buy it first. So 
with the first book, it's it's okay to cry. And like I said, even with the title, it was like, who wants to buy a book that's titled It's Okay to Cry? But it was an amazing opportunity. It's Okay to Cry is the first book. Define Your Voice is the second one, which is the coupon code that you guys got. Um, the third one is The Ripple Effect, which as you can see with the journey that I've been telling you about today, that in my life has definitely been a series of ripples and pebbles and rocks and brick walls thrown into my little ponds. But, you know, I'm I'm riding the waves as best as possible. And then I have book collaborations, one being uh, for women who have gone through abuse called The Butterfly Experience. My books are all available on Amazon and via ebook on Barnes and Noble as well. Listeners, the links to all of Eltabese's books and all the resources that she's mentioned will be on the show notes page, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP176. I love how you just said, I just want to circle around for a moment. I love how you just said that somebody would have to buy the book first. That is such an amazing thought. Yes, it might be in goodwill, but somebody bought it and maybe they just are a minimalist and they're cleaning off their shelves and they have like two books on there at any given time. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? I, I've come across so many authors that are scared to write the book for just the same reason. Oh, nobody's going to buy it. Or what if my book, and I just had one of my clients said she, she walked into the dollar store and you know that now they sell, uh, they sell books at the dollar store for a dollar. And she said, what if my book ends up here? That makes and, it so much more accessible to the people who couldn't Exactly. And mm-hmm. she said, that's where she said, at first it was, oh my goodness, what if my book ends up at the dollar store? But then immediately something clicked and she said, I can hear your voice coach. And she said, but it makes it available to whoever may need it for just a dollar. So it just puts a different spin on things. And a lot of people are like, you know, they put you invest a lot into writing a book. You invest some blood, sweat and tears when it comes to writing a book, because a lot of times you're putting your heart into it, even if it's fiction or nonfiction, you're still putting your heart into it. And so it's your baby. So you always want to do what's going to be best for your baby. But guess what? At some point, we have to let our hands go. We have to allow them to kind of stumble and and get their first steps out. And we have to be able to know that there's going to be times where they may fall, but we may pick them up. But there may be times where they have to pick themselves up. (laughs) It's going to be that same journey when it comes to doing your book. The journey is not going to look any different. What's the most impactful book you have read this year? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I am a bookaholic. So let's see. For this year, it was Start With Why. And I can say that last year, it was Year of Yes. Now, Start With Why I'm familiar with, but Year of Yes, I have yes. heard that one. Year of Yes is Shonda Rhimes, and she is... Um, the creator of, oh my goodness, 
uh, How to Get Away with Murder and that whole, you know, Shonda Rhimes night, that her Thursday night. And she talks about her year of yes. And I felt like 2016 was really my year of yes, of saying yes with taking that first flight on January 1st made 2016 my year of yes. And so she talked about saying yes to herself when it came to her health, saying yes to, you know, being on camera because she didn't like being on camera, even though she is this uh, creative woman who is amazing and doing all these amazing things. You have all these actors and actresses and people that work for you and work with you. And she did not want to get on camera to do interviews or anything simply because she was nervous. So it just talked about a whole lot, even to her daughters and saying yes to making sure that she spends time with them and she does a lot with them and she doesn't allow herself to get too busy that you know she's not spending time with them it oh, I loved it it was an amazing book I love it sounds to me like year of yes almost needs to come with a prequel called need to know no right, exactly <laughs> because that's where I'm at right now I'm going through the nose so that I can I am committing right now actually to you and listeners that 2018 is going to be the year of yes because this has been a great, wonderful year of no's, like mm-hmm. laying down the law. No, exactly. Nights and weekends are mine. No, I'm not doing that. And it's funny because I had to do a lot of that last year as well. And I, <laughs> I tell the story that it wasn't an opportunity. It was an ultimatum. It was, it was you either move up to this higher position or you move down. <laughs> and so I had been... Uh, offered the opportunity before, then they retracted it, then they offered it, then they retracted it. It was a craziness. But on the day that they decided to sit down and talk to me about it, it was months after I had applied for the position, for a position that they said they needed to fill immediately. But it was months later. And I sat down and my answer was no. And it took my supervisors, like it took her breath away for a moment because she was just like, well, you know, this is the opportunity that's available and then this would be the next step. And and I said, no, no, I value my time. I value my family and I'm not going to allow you to dictate what I can achieve and can't achieve. And at this time, I had just started doing the I had the books published, the first two, and I had just started doing traveling and was going to speak in Florida. And so I was literally uh, in November, I went to speak in Florida. And the week before I left, my last day before I was off for the next week, I was told, oh, well, we hired someone already. And when you come back, they'll probably be in training. So okay. <laughs> I I was fine with it. I was a okay. But this was, you know, after them telling me that I I wouldn't be able to have the position immediately. They would have to do another three months of training and do all of this, and they hired somebody immediately. And I just went, oh okay. You know, it's amazing that you brought that up because I on Tuesdays my husband and I will have lunch together. We'll have our Tuesday lunch dates saves us the expense of, you know, getting a babysitter. And we'll be sitting having lunch and I'll see co-workers from my last full-time position come in and have their lunch. And I've seen a few who were given positions rather than me. I, I applied for and interviewed for 
at least 10 different permanent promotions within the company I was working for. But I was always told, no, it's so ridiculous. So sometimes the reasons that they give you Definitely. In, this, in this case was it would be too hard to replace you. I was an administrative assistant. Don't tell me it would be too hard to replace you. <laughs> yes, that is a that is a classic line. That is classic. Go down to manpower. You could find like 30 people right now who want <laughs> who want my position. But we'll be sitting there in lunch, and I am not saying that entrepreneurship is easy at all, because everybody who's an entrepreneur and is listening knows (laughs) that saying it's easy would be a lie. And I'm not saying that I work less than these people who are given the position, but I'm sitting there having lunch with my husband, and I know I can take as long to have lunch as I possibly want, because I had the ability to block off two hours of lunch on my calendar. And I have the ability to decide if and when I need to take a trip. Mm-hmm. And I have the ability to not do overtime if I so choose. Nobody can tell me there's forced overtime anymore. Well, I suppose they could try. My clients could try. But <laughs> the year of no, my no has allowed me to realize that those aren't my ideal clients. And then if that happens, clearly we missed something during the interview process and it's time to move on. My husband taught me to be the bonsai baby, cut the weaker branches off and let the strong thrive. Mm -hmm. He's my Mr. Miyagi. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, because we were going through something exactly like that. I had a client who wanted me to work overnight, basically, to build out a crazy idea. And I just said, no, he's like, be the bonsai babe. So year of yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting, interesting scenario. And I just I kind of look back and go, you kind of get to a moment where you're like, what took you so long? No kidding. How many times a week do you hear that? Seriously, how many times a week or a day, maybe I should ask, do you hear that? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So many. And I'm just like, you know, what took you so long to get to this moment? And this this freedom. And I, I I had to smile as you were talking because we just recently had an active shooter situation um, where I live. And so all of the schools were on lockdown. And I said, you know, you know, I shut everything down and I was paying attention to what was going on to see what needed to be done. And they sent the children home late, which I, w- I didn't have a problem with that as long as they were safe. I was fine. But children in a certain area of our, our little town, they couldn't be bused home because there was still police presence in that area. And so parents had to come and sign their children out. And I said, you know, wow, if I needed to go up to the school to sign my children out, which is two separate schools, I don't have a problem because I can shut everything down and then come back to it. But what about that parent that's at their job and couldn't leave? And they could potentially lose their job if they left. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I said, because I've been there, I've gotten written up because I said, I'm going to my child's event. I'm not staying here. And so I've been that person that's gotten written up, even though you had requested time off and enough time and everything. Yes, I've been that person. So what what about that parent? that may or may not have somebody to go pick up their child. What about that parent that didn't even know because they can't have their phone on them? Or a radio on their desk. Exactly. On 9-11, I was working in an office in Manhattan where we were not allowed radios. So the way that we found out was from people calling in or emailing in to make sure we were okay, which just blows my mind. 
It definitely gives a very different perspective. Very different, especially with everything that's been going on now. It definitely gives a different perspective. Speaking of different perspectives, even though we had this, not this chat, a very different chat yesterday, this goes to show right here how everything happens for a reason. Because this chat has been amazing and everything was said because it was supposed to be said right now. But with that said, where can this, well, first off, thank you so much for joining me again. And I'm sorry for my tech glitch. But where can listeners find you online and connect with you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? So they can connect with me by going to Find Your Voice Now for Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Definitely want to connect with me on Periscope. Same thing, Find Your Voice Now. If you want to reach out to me via email, it's contacts at com. And if you would like to get on the phone with me, it's bit.ly forward slash talk to Altovis. Again, listeners, all of these links will be in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash pp176. Altovis, thank you so much again. Do you have a parting word of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners? Yes. So my parting words would be, don't be silent. Allow your voice to be heard because there's somebody somewhere that needs the wisdom that you have. And I know a lot of times we think that our experiences don't equate to wisdom all the time, but I can guarantee that there's something that you know that can help somebody else. 